Wait, first of all, did you like Nomadland? No, I thought it was poopy. I never want to see it again. I haven't watched it twice because that, that'd be weird. Oh my God, it's a fucking masterpiece. Welcome to Bread Wine Movies. Let's talk about how movies from Star Wars to Eraserhead to the films of Jean-Luc Godard can touch the human spirit and change lives. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Joey. Hey, Joshua. Would you like to do uh, the Eucharist? That's correct. We should do that. Awesome. Um, so for, for, for those of you keeping track at home, um, I, so I am an ordained minister and I've been doing Eucharist and communion for a long time. Um, and I have a great affection for it. And I think it's a, a wonderful mystical experience. Um, Joshua and I are both in agreement that it is a sacred engagement, um, a sacred act and, and ritual. Um, and we believe that it's more than a symbol. We believe it's a sacrament, um, which means that it is a spiritual treasure in an earthen vessel. And what we believe movies are also spiritual treasures or can be spiritual treasures in earthen vessels, as can um, good books and a cup of good tea and um, a good night of lovemaking with your partner, like whatever. Um, so can spilling good tea. Yeah, spill the tea. <laughs> um, so the tea today is called the Eucharist. Um, and uh, I am a Zen Buddhist um, in my practice, but I am a Zen Buddhist who loves the church and who loves Jesus and who is still very super nerdy and into the sacraments. And so um, with that. Joe, you can't be you can't be a Christian and a Buddhist at the same time. Bitch what? He said sarcastically. <laughs> I've heard that. I've, I've had people say that to me. And my response to that every time is the same. Telling a, a Christian that they cannot practice Buddhism is like telling a Muslim that they cannot practice tennis because they're a Muslim. That just doesn't work that way. Um, speaking of spilling tea. Yeah. So let's do it. Um, so speaking of tea, actually, I have my tea, hot tea here. That's going to serve as the... <laughs> lord's blood today um but joey joey if you drink hot tea wouldn't that be considered cannibalism because you are also a hot tea oh my gosh i haven't heard that but i actually really like it well done um this is my my bob belcher face i love bob belcher so oh god oh i i would kill for us to do a bob's burgers episode um fun fun fact you don't have to kill anybody we can just do it, <laughs> can just do it. oh my god um bob's burgers is i think one of the greatest comedy i mean the, the quality comedy writing is just incredible anyways you gotta let me finish it but let's have our let's have our eucharist i'm only in season four so you know oh, anyway and you're enjoying it though of course awesome okay because my so, brain um, i have a cookie good. here and tea and what do you have i have a cracker that's got like little you can't really see, but it's got little veggies in it. Yep. Uh, and then this is some kombucha. Yes. Because I'm I'm bougie as fuck. Yes, you are. AF. So um, so here's the deal, folks listening at home. If you want to grab um, elements, whatever you have, some kind of bread product and some kind of drink. Um, Quick reminder that you can pause the episode to go find these things. And absolutely. We'll be, we'll be waiting. Yep. The other piece, too, is, um, you know, there's a lot of theological debate around whether or not it's appropriate to use elements other than wine or grape juice and bread, um, because those are the traditional things. And I think that if um, Jesus can, if, if, if according to Christian tradition, if the Holy Spirit can work uh, through the mouth of a mule, then the Holy Spirit can work in an Oreo and a cup of tea and in, in kombucha and a cracker. The fact that we would ever limit the movement of God to like, one set of things is one of I, is what I call traditionalism, and that's actually a sign of addiction. So we're leaving addiction at the curb today as we approach the table, and we know the story. Again, this is storytelling, which is what movies are, and so I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, in the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
we have a friend who listens to the podcast named Joy. Joy, if you're listening, I know you hate the sound of chewing, so I apologize. Which is why I edited it out. So, Joy, when you're listening, you'll have noticed you didn't hear it. And that's because <laughs> I am magnanimous. Awesome. Um, again, after supper, Jesus took the cup, gave thanks, blessed it, and gave it to all his disciples to drink, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. But what about people I don't like? Oh, um, yeah, I didn't, Jesus didn't stutter, Joshua. Jesus was pretty clear. <laughs> for all people for the forgiveness of sin, do this every time you do it in remembrance of me. That's a great question that you asked there, though. What about people I don't like? I can still not like them, and Jesus can still be like, you're in. Yeah, that's why it's that's why it's annoying. That's why, you know, people think people talk about the message of the cross is offensive, and it usually gets translated by the, you know, folks mm-hmm. uh, of the conservative variety that that means it's offensive to hear you're a sinner, mm-hmm. which isn't wrong. That does, you know, nobody wants to hear that. Mm-hmm. But I think it's offensive. If if the message of the, the cross is that all are saved, I think it's offensive because that means uh, Donald Trump is among all. <laughs> you know, that's offensive to me. Anyway, that's a whole other, that's some more tea for, for a different movie. He's great. Um, I like your tea. Okay, so let's talk about Sex baby. No, just kidding. Um we're talk about, is in videotape. Yes. We're gonna talk about Nomad Land today. Um I've heard of that movie. Chloe Zhao is the director. She is technically an elder millennial. She's right at the end. So what I love is that she's part of the millennial generation and making she's one of the great uh filmmakers that's coming out of um our millennial generation and I have not seen her first uh, major indie film, The Rider, um, but I hear, I. I hear that it is absolutely stunning and has a lot in common with Nomadland. Um, based on my experience of Nomadland, I would say uh, I don't doubt at all that it's gorgeous. Um, and I feel like I was introduced to two beautiful things in this movie. One was, was Chloe Zhao. And the other one was I was introduced to a community of people who are rarely, if ever, the focus of um, the media. Now, that being said, one thing I found super refreshing is there's lots of documentaries and like books and blogs and Instagram accounts about people that do the van life. They're typically... Um, really young white folks who look like hipsters who were born into privilege and who go out to travel the world because they can't. Um, that is not the story of these nomads. These are real nomads who are doing the real nitty gritty, dirty living of being on the road. And it, it this movie perfectly captures the heartache and the beauty and blessing in that uh, type of living. Yeah, that's what I I found striking about it is that the characters in this film seem to enjoy this. Like, this film could have been... Like, I think about the scene where uh, Frances McDormand is putting away her her stuff and she's got all the little cubbies and she's putting away, like, the dishes in the right cubby and all this. Um. And that could have been played for like, oh, look how look how awful her life is. But it it felt more like it was they were saying, This is this is just a vignette of how she lives. This isn't we don't feel bad for her, at least especially the second time through, it didn't feel like they were they were trying to make us feel feel bad for this character. Yeah. Especially when, you know, by the end, we find out she prefers this. 
she is a badass she she has been my favorite actress ever since i saw her in um fargo um after i saw fargo many years ago i said she is my favorite actress um i love kate Blanchett and Meryl Streep and all the people that you say should be my favorite actress, but Frances McDormand is everything I have seen her in. She is 100% dynamite. You know, it's interesting though. I've never seen three billboards. Um, you still haven't seen three billboards. No. My friend. And my friend, I love the director, um, Martin McDonough, cause he did in Bruges, which we should definitely do for the podcast. Um, and he did Seven Psychopaths, which is also a great movie. But uh, I have not seen Three Billboards. And I feel like I need to because she is. I, I was like, how could she ever outdo her role in Fargo? I was like, she can't. Nomadland might be that thing that outdoes it. It's a very different role, obviously. I can't think of who else could possibly have done it. Yeah. Like, I can't, I, I'm, I thought and thought, and I could not think of another actress I would have put in there. She evidently wrote a letter to Amazon. So they actually use the Amazon, that's a legit Amazon warehouse. Yeah, I know. And evidently she wrote a letter to Amazon, which was basically like, this is what we want to do. We want to, we're not here to take down Amazon. We're here to show these workers and where they work. And they used all real people, which is why all the performances are a little bit like stilted. And it feels like, like if that wasn't Francis McDormand, you might've thought this was a documentary. Absolutely. It's got the it's got the docudrama feel. Absolutely. That that said, now this is uh, this is true of a lot of well-made documentaries. But if you were to turn this movie on and close your eyes and randomly hit pause at any point during this film, I submit to you that that paused frame would be suitable for printing and hanging in an art museum. Yes, the cinematography is out of this world good. It is, um, and also like, it's just capturing the natural beauty of America at a time when this movie came out, you know, still during COVID. And we, a lot of people have been like, have been feeling disconnected from a sense of travel and a sense of wanderlust because you know, people who are actually, who actually give a fuck about, you know, taking care of themselves and others have not been doing a lot of traveling. And so this movie, I think is really well-timed in that regard. And I am just, I don't care what people are saying about it. I am thrilled to death that Nomadland was released on Hulu because I'm not going to a theater right now. I have a whole rant on this. And I know that there's a lot of people that I respect who disagree with me. Yep. If you want movies to be accessible, like if it's about making art, then you need to make them accessible. Yes, agreed. And I'm not even saying that you need to put Avengers out, like it doesn't need to go on HBO. But a movie like Nomadland, which, I, I mean, obviously I don't have numbers. I don't know how you could crunch these numbers. But I'm willing to bet that more people will have watched it because it was on Hulu than would have watched it in the theater. Yep. Because, you know, maybe James Bond or something would have been out and that's what everybody would have would have gotten to see. This was this was the year of the small movie because all the small movies were like, yeah, hell yeah, let's stream. And yep. it took for like HBO Max was like, okay, maybe we should release some of these big ones. And all these little movies were like, let's do this. Dick Johnson is dead. Fantastic movie. Netflix. Yeah. Um, Heck, even uh, the Aaron Sorkin movie this year was Netflix. Yeah, which is wild. Which is great. Um, uh, Vast is the Night, man. Or Vast of the Night. What a great movie. Super good. So Low budget and amazing. Right. And how often 
like when we have our Oscar nominations and we 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 discuss them, how often do we have to say like, I heard that movie was good or I wish I could have seen that movie. We won't have that problem this year. Nope. We'll be theoretically able to see just about everything. Yep. Yep. I, so, I agree 100%. I think that we probably are paying our people too much money and I don't know anything about the business and whatever. I, I just know like somebody called me out on this the other day. Cause I was like, what if we got rid of professional sports or like made professional sports, uh, you know, $150,000 a year gig, you know, and it just became like a, a fun thing we did. Cause I'm paying for my tax dollars. I'm paying for the stadium anyway. Yeah. So why are we paying them? You know, that much. And somebody said, well, what about movies? You love movies. And I'm like, you know what? You're not wrong. <laughs> maybe, maybe we shouldn't give, you know, $9 million to an actor to do a, to do a movie. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like I was an actor for a while and I wasn't even a screen actor really. And um, no actor, even the best actors should be paid as much as actors are paid. It just, it is, it, it's just, one of the examples of incredible silliness in our culture. I, yeah, sports players. I, I am in awe of the great actors and sports players, athletes that I see out there doing good work. Um, I'm not saying it's not hard, but, but they should not be paid more than um, a, a hardworking, you know, blue collar factory worker. Um, well, just, I'm, I'm not saying it's not hard, but I am saying, that teaching is hard and Walmart is hard. <laughs> yes. Yes. And yeah. Yep. Counseling and ministry and there's, yeah. Right. Paying people for ministry, but they're doing it for the Lord, Joey. That's a bad reason to do things. I mean, it's a bad reason to do ministry. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, even Paul says we should get paid and Paul was a grumpy ass. So he was. Heresy alert. Um, but how much did this movie, how much does this movie accentuate that though? Like these, I think going in, I was expecting to see a movie about a whole lot of sad people who like left their homes and were like wandering around. And what it turned out to be was a bunch of people who just got sick of the cycle that they were in and made their own choices. Yeah. And there were very few stories about people that I remember in this film where they were like, my life was shit and I had no choice. Right. But to be become a nomad, they chose it for the most part, you know, and some of these guys, it was, you know, like there was the veteran who the PTSD veteran who's like, I just needed to get away because everything was setting me off. Uh, you know, I enjoy them nomadic life, like her sort of boyfriend guy. Oh, played by David Strathern. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, was out there doing his thing until, until he found it, which we'll have to discuss because he found a place to, to call home and he wanted to stay. We're not asked to look at these folks and say, I have it so much better. We're actually asked to look at these folks and say, are they, doing it right and i'm doing it wrong mm -hmm. right which is not what i expected from this film no absolutely not um yeah agreed uh so there's another movie that we did um a, an episode on um last season called um a straight story the straight story uh, by david lynch um which is it's interesting there is an essay right now on rogerebert.com by Abby, oh, I'm gonna butcher, butcher this. Normal, Abby, Abby Normal. Abby Normal, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, good young Frankenstein reference. Abby Olsace, I'm gonna say. Um, and it is called Getting to the Heart of America and David Lynch's The Straight Story. What nice. David Lynch does in that movie is very similar to what Chloe Zhao does here. Um, they're very different movies in some 
major ways, but they're also, what they're both doing is they're capturing the heart. There, there's something behind these films that says there's something more going on in this thing that we call America than what we're seeing unfold in front of us. Um, and what I think keeps happening is that we are so easily distracted by uh, Trump, by Biden, by Kamala Harris, by um, uh, fucking Rand ass Paul or whatever the hell his name is. Um, Rand ass Paul. Rand ass Paul. It sounds like a um, like ah, get that Rand ass Paul over or, here. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Green, who apparently oh, knows a oh. thing or two about being trans, which. Your your tea on now when this comes out it'll be your tea on Twitter from like months ago well weeks ago, um, but you're like we're getting to this point where we need to just stop engaging yeah. some of these fuckers yeah because there so you know there's the the cast your pearl your pearls before swine thing right yep. like there comes a point where engaging that woman is only going to harm you yes and harm the community yeah so like i know right because that gets this conversation going again so like even if even as a because i used to think well so i could think you know i'm a cis white man so i can take it so maybe i should be the one engaging except if i engage then this whole twitter thing starts and then my trans friends all have to like hide in a bunker because it's all so fucking triggering because she's just a psychopath yep we think we think that resisting, which I, I'm all about resisting and I'm all about activism. I mean, that's like my bread and butter. I love that shit. The issue there is we think we have our brains communicate to us very loudly, and I think in a very mammalian way, that um, resistance means always fighting, getting on Twitter and just going for it and getting in arguments and debating and yada 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 and exhausting yourself to the point of depression and anxiety and panic attacks and here's the deal with marjorie taylor green she tweets this thing thing saying god made only two genders in all caps and i'm like thank you trump jr first of all secondly um okay so please tell me with all of the schooling that you have about like what the fuck the the hebrew and greek say about genders um how about the fact that the word that's used in genesis Adama uh, means mud person in Hebrew. There is no gender in Genesis. There is no gender. There is a non-gendered, there are non-gendered people. Adam and Eve are non-categories. They are just mud people and genderless. I thought it was Adam and Steve, but you know. I'm into that too. Um, uh, You heard that somewhere else, but not here. Um, So... um, Anyway, so that being the case, we, clearly you see how Joshua and I got distracted. <laughs> um, that's the, but that is the stuff that we get distracted by because we st- we start to put all of the weight of of what this this experiment that we call America on the shoulders of the Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Donald Trumps and the um, and even the people like Eric Metaxas. Like th- these are individuals and, and and on the other side though, like we there's people have put too much hope in Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Human beings who are trying to do their best to run the country and do so in a way uh, with some integrity, you know, like good for them. But like, as Derek Webb used to say, there will never be a savior on Capitol Hill. What Nomadland and what Straight Story direct our attention to is where the salvation is. The salvation of America is not found in these political places, is not found on the media, is not found for fighting for the soul of our nation in a fucking social media debate or storming the Capitol like a fucking white terrorist. It's found in real people in real time, having real conversations, being diagnosed with real cancers, um, having diarrhea, like that scene where she has diarrhea, uh, is just, I thought like, oh, she's getting sick. She's got a stomach bug. Like this is going to be a a plot point. It wasn't, it was, and that's, what's brilliant about it. They were like, she had, she got the shits because she's a human who got the shits. And that scene, I have, I spent so much time in the bathroom. So with my chronic health issues. So I really 
really <laughs> related to that. And I was like, I, I think, thank you for seeing me, Chloe Zhao. Thank you for seeing me, Francis McDormand. We shitters are real people. Um, Hashtag shitters are real people. <laughs> yeah, we should seriously. <laughs> the Breadwine Movies uh, Twitter account should make that a hashtag. Um, <laughs> Let's... Um, I think that's a really apt uh, uh, comparison. Actually, Straight Story is at the time of this recording our most listened to episode. So go figure. That's such a great. That's a great thing. That movie is fantastic. Yeah. It really is. It's it gets better. It's it's one of those movies that gets better the more I think about it, and that's a good sign. Um, but uh, politics didn't factor into this film at all. Nope. It was it was people just existing, and we didn't we didn't talk about those things, and and I wonder. So that Majory Taylor, whoever Green, who put up the sign outside of her house office that said, um, "You know, there are only two genders." Right now, on the one hand. That's obviously barbaric and stupid and also pointless. Like, so what? Like, good for you. I don't know how that changes your life if there if that doesn't turn out to be true, but whatever. Yeah. Right. And so that, like, somebody should say something because that's she's an elected official. But on the other hand, imagine if she had put up that sign and nobody said anything. Nobody noticed or cared. Yeah, that's what everybody. If you don't pay, if you do not respond, if you don't respond, and that was the thing, the things that really bugged Donald Trump is when he would like go on this raging, like lunatic ocean of horrid tweets and a torrent of, of, of all caps tweeting. And name basically that. Andy Dufresne climbing through the pipe. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Oh, wow. That's what, a, that's a good, good image for that. Um, and uh, but but the thing that really fed him is when people responded and retweeted, whether they were doing yeah. it out of hatred or doing it out of loyalty, he, that's what fed him. That's what kept him up at all hours in his bedroom, surrounded by McDonald's, um, you know, tweeting. And what we have, what we have there, and this is what I love about my, you know, my, my, my Buddhist thing. I'm on my Buddhist shit again. Your Buddhist thing? My Buddhist shit again, yeah. Um, well, it's, uh, it's pretty great because uh, uh, people, if they're playing a drinking game with our, with our podcast, and every time that you mention your Buddhist thing, they can take a sip of what I assume is water. Or wine, because it's bread wine movies. Um, I thought it was because we ate bread and whined about movies. I see. Oh, that makes oh, so much more sense. Oh, we should really rethink that. Um, oh, but anyways, uh, where was I going with that? <laughs> Somewhere probably much better than my snide remark. Oh, so Buddhism is about, wants to address uh, truths in the midst of illusion. So uh, the thing is that what's happening in that like loud tweeting and what's happening in all of like the the media coverage around um, how Biden's a better president than Trump. I mean, even though clearly he is. Um, all of that stuff is noise that is sucking us into the illusion that we have some kind of control. When the real stuff, the real stuff that's happening is happening in movies like Nomadland and the stories like that, where people have given handed control over to some kind of higher power and said, we're just going to experience America, the, the true heart of what America actually is, which is sprawling, beautiful country. Um, I actually read Amanda Gorman's poem, The Hill We Climb, the one she read at Biden's inauguration. Man, she's yeah. an amazing young woman. Um, I read her her poem after watching the movie and i was just struck by how nomadland is essentially in a lot of ways a film version of that poem it's about people being being people experiencing real people shit including relationship tumult and brokenness and joy 
in the midst of staggering beauty. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, you know, a Republican seems to think that money trickles down, right? Like if we give, if rich people have more money, it'll trickle down. But it seems to me that liberals think that integrity trickles down. Like if we can just get somebody in the White House who's a good person, it'll trickle down to us. It's just also not true. Fuck no, yeah. <laughs> because if that were true, the church wouldn't be such a crazy piece of shit half the time. Yes, amen. <laughs> which, which it is shocking. Uh, this just in: the church has done bad things. Yes, and if the church that I love, yeah, has done bad things. Right, like I can, we can. That's the thing. The best critics of the church are the people that love it. I mean, right, and and you know. Uh, you know, as someone in ministry and hopefully, you know, who knows what ministry of the future, but the people I got to concentrate are the people in front of me. And that doesn't mean I stop paying attention. That doesn't mean I'm not going to read my news podcast. Read, you don't read podcasts. I'm not going to listen to my news podcast every morning. And it, it doesn't mean I'm not going to know what's going on because it's important because, you know, if my friends can't get married or, there are people being abused. We we need to be informed of those things. But I also need to remember that when it comes down to it, if trans people are being attacked, I need to see how my friends are doing. Yeah. Not, not necessarily where I am, I'm going to do more good by checking in with my friends, in my opinion, than I'm going to do by tweeting at you know, Majorie Taylor Buttface. Yeah. Ugh. That's her new name. I changed it. Marjorie Taylor Buttface. Very good. Is it Marjorie? I keep saying her Majorie. Yeah, I'm Is like, that, I don't know any Majories, uh, Joshua, but I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> I was you getting in touch with my Enneagram 9-ness, which occasionally, apparently, I have. Um, uh, well, that means occasionally, apparently, you're the best. Oh, thanks. So Chloe Zhao um, is giving a voice to a really important story here. And it, it's set in 2011. So it's set pre-COVID uh, era, pre-Trump era, um, during the Obama presidency. It was my first year of seminary. Um, and it's right after the Great Recession which right. at the time didn't affect me too badly because I was pretty young and I was in seminary and, you know, I wasn't, I hadn't been a full-time working adult for a long time. Oh, you guys don't have any money now too, just like me? Exactly. Huh. Right. So that was back when the Great Recession was like, you know, don't worry. Millennials, you got your big financial crisis out of the way. Right, right. You don't have to live through another one of those in 10 years. Right. It'll be fine. So she was in her early 30s. Um, Chloe Zhao was at that time. And um, I, I'm just curious about, like, do you know, like, what, like, what it was that, like, pushed her in the direction of making this movie? Like, I just have a lot of questions about why why this movie and why now right i don't know and i i tried to find i tried to do some research but me too there isn't a ton out there because because people interview the wrong people yeah you know i want to know i want to know i want to hear from swanky and i want to hear from chloe john which i bet there's more now now that it's on hulu yep because all these publications you know, they're, they just want, they want clicks. So they're going to interview the Nomadland folks. Um, did you listen to the interview? The, the only really solid interview I've found so far was with the cinematographer. And it was, it's funny because it wasn't even actually an interview of the cinematographer. It was the cinematographer interviewing Roger Deakins, which like that's just a nerdgasm in my mouth right there 
Yeah, Josh Richards. Yes, a good solid name too. Um, this the Joshua James Richards, the cinematographer of Nomadland, interviewing Roger Deakins, the cinematographer of Fargo, and so they got to bond in this interview about Francis McDormand and how they both, yeah, and how they both prefer natural light. Because if you've ever watched a Roger Deakins movie, you know he doesn't like no. to particularly light his sets if he can help it. And Josh was like, Joshua was like, yeah, I mean, we don't even like. They were talking about how you know he had some like reflectors and some you know little gag lights but they didn't have like a they they didn't like set up a set for this right you know this was on location it was all natural baby with the light you had and it just so happened to be set in some very gorgeous locations where sunsets were always perfect over the course of the 18 months or whatever yeah uh it's also based on jessica bruder's book so it's a book um which is a true story um yeah and and that the the it the book was a true story and then bob wills um the the guy who was like basically giving all the advice bob yeah yeah the guru he's a real youtube yeah uh fan living guru i like like that. you can wa- i watched a bunch of his youtube videos and he's awesome there is nothing in me that wants this life <laughs> i want that community i don't want this life i could never do it i am not a nomad it is not in my blood like i like i like that i've lived in the same house now for four years and that's great really you've been in the house for four years wow that's insane yeah. that's cool which is weird because i'm used to moving like every year before this and sometimes Joy talks about like, you know, our next house. And I'm like, our next house? I never want to move again. <laughs> it sounds terrible. There was like a small part of my life where it's like, I could live in an RV and it's not a thing. I'd go, I'd go bananas. Um, which is why when everyone was like, oh, you got to quarantine in your house for two weeks. I was like, okay. When you're raising children too, like I can't, there's no way in hell. Like, I mean, I did not see any kids. Nope, none. In this movie. Nope. Um, not until they got to that. That's that's actually interesting. I didn't really even think about that. But the kid shows up. There's a kid uh, in the house where David chooses to stay with his son. With his son. Yep. Um. There's a kid there. But yeah, you could. I don't know how you could do that with kids. I mean, I'm sure somebody's done it. I'm sure they're out there, but. It sounds awful. Yeah, there's um, there's a scene uh, toward the beginning where she's um, sort of newly out on the road, and um, after her husband's death, and she is um, shopping for some supplies at a department store. And in walks um, the daughter of a friend of hers, and her daughter, and this, and her daughter, and That's right. uh, who's a little girl, and or is she a teenager? I can't remember, but she's young, and um, she's like, and, and there's this really interesting exchange. She's very much the the white lady Karen, um, who says to her like you know if 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 you need help like um like you can always come stay with us like which you know when somebody says that like you on paper like it's like wow that person's really compassionate but in the moment the way that they capture this scene it's flawless and and just so perfectly human it's this moment where she's like i can see that you are living a troubled life and if and if you could stay with somebody you'd want to and since i know that about you i'm going to project my care onto you because i'm karen um see what i did there and um, yeah there you go um it's not caring it's karen and um but then the girl the little girl says to her my mommy says you're homeless yes no no i'm not homeless um i'm houseless Mm -hmm. Um, i wrote that down and that 
that reminds me too of like how there is a spiritual home is a spiritual reality uh in a sense um and you know there's an old cliche which people say all the time something along the lines of uh, a house is not a home um you can be home anywhere uh if it's calling your name you could say that home could be the pennsylvania turnpike or early morning early early morning do high up in the hills of california home is just another word for you it's another word for Joshua. you if i we, travel all my life very good Billy i think Jones. it's so funny how we are like we're 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 progressive you're non-binary I, you know, I'm a stay-at-home dad. Like we are all these things that like our previous generation were not, and yet we're both just Billy Joel goobers. I love Billy Joel. I fucking love him. I know. It makes it makes us so basic. <laughs> Billy Joel and Elton John were my like go-tos as a kid. I mean, you know, not to stereotype, but Elton John makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah, Elton John was kind of uh, was a gateway drug for me. Um, although yeah, a, a gateway, did you say gateway drug? Yeah, gateway. Gay, gay. <laughs> oh my god, you can't knock good music. That's the thing. Like, it's it's it, correct. It's good. He's a great pianist. He's a great um, singer. <laughs> Joshua, he's a great lyricist. Um, I mean, it's he's good you can't deny it you might not you don't have to like him but you can't deny that he is gifted um but yeah anyways i wrote that down too i'm just houseless yeah and we uh you know especially in the pastoral care realm we're really good at saying this is how i found peace so that should be how everyone else finds peace too right uh this is what works for me so it must work for everybody. Yes. And there's nothing that is more anti-spirituality than that. When we assume, so, so this is sort of the evangelical thing too. When an evangelical Christian person assumes that you need what they have. And so they're going to proselytize and evangelize so that you start to believe like them. The sheer arrogance at the heart of that is just staggering to me. Um, one thing I really like about Fern is that she is um, not, she doesn't take any bullshit. Like, I love that about her. She's very, like, just matter of fact. Um, when, when, uh, what's, what is David Strathairn's character's name? Isn't it David? Yeah, it's David. Yeah, when David breaks all of her dishes, for example, that scene's, oh, I felt for that. Them. Just, I felt for that dude so bad because I've done stuff like that where he's like, Oh, I'm going to help you. And I said, I don't need help. You know, and that's, that's what's hard is I can't always, when I'm offering help to people, I can't always trust that they're like, who do I put the burden of, of truth on? Cause some people say they don't need help and they do. Yep. It also just you reinforces know for Fern in the moment, like, I can't trust anybody but myself to get shit done. And that's a really toxic and unhealthy and disconnecting way of living, which you, which Bob Wills, the, the great Obi-Wan Kenobi of Nomadland um, shares with everybody, like, essentially like you, you can't do that. Like we, the, 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 the heart of his message is we need to work together um, and teach each other things um, to survive this, this life. Um, there, and of course, there's some really moving moments. Uh, this is not like a super upbeat, happy movie all the time. There's some moments of sheer joy in this movie, which are just delightful. It's just a very human movie. So there's sad moments and there's happy moments and there's angry moments and just like human moments. Um, but the scene where toward it, it's, it's in the last quarter of the movie Bob Wills and Fern are talking about loss and connection. Yeah. And he talks about losing his son. And I lost it. I was just like, oh, this is 
it's because it's it what 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 adds to the depth and this is rarely what you see in film what adds to the depth of the scene is that bob wills is a real person telling a story not just yeah. he's not just like bill murray playing bill murray in zombie land you know this is not zombie land it's nomad land it's a different land it's the sequel obviously yeah didn't you know nomad yeah. land's a sequel to zombie land <laughs> oh my god I guess we can say that we have modeled here two really bad ways of living, um, but also really good ways of living. Let me let me try to phrase this. So we have two two ways of being spiritually out of balance. I think that's a better way to say it. We have Fern, who won't take help from anybody, and is so fucking stubborn that she glues that plate back together. Which, by the way, flawless, flawless job gluing that plate back together. Good job, Fern. Yeah, it looked amazing. Um, so that's one. That's one bad, spiritually, spiritually bad way of living. But then we also have David, who is so eager to help all the time uh, that he ends up dropping plates and being very awkward. Like that performance was so awkward. Yes. And so what are, if you're living in either one of those situations, if you are codependent to the point that you need to help everybody, or if you just can't trust anybody at all, how are you ever supposed to get yourself out of that like how how can you bring yourself to trust the person across from you when they say they don't need help mm. like if fern was in your life would you assume she needed help or not i would always assume that she didn't want help right yeah which i don't think is what the story is telling us no nope. Um, in fact, the movie continues to do the same thing. So it's a cycle in the sense that she will, you know, she'll get on her feet, she'll be traveling, she'll be super independent, and then she'll find that she suddenly needs somebody's help again and again and again. And at every turn, she tries to refuse it. And there's an interesting balance that Chloe Zhao and like, I guess she she wrote the screenplay too, didn't she? Yes, she did. Um, is trying to to reach here, like the scene where the manager at the gas station walks up to her and says, "It's going to be really cold tonight. Like, are you sure you don't want to go down the road to the church and stay somewhere warm?" And she's like, "No, no, I'm going to be just fine. You know, like I, I don't need your help. Like, hold you at arm's length." Um, and so in that moment we have two things happening. One is another example of even a, a really well-intentioned person offering help, um, but a reminder that not everybody needs the help that we offer. And secondly, it's also a reminder that maybe she could use a warm night in a church and is just being a little stubborn. Um, also, there's, there's different ways that the gas station manager and the woman that she meets in the store uh, approach her. The woman who she meets in the store with her daughter says, you know, if you ever need to stay with me, like, I understand, like, you know, you, you can come stay. It's totally fine. You know, like I have come from on high yes. to offer you this right. wonderful bedroom. Says it even uses wording in a way that doesn't make it necessarily a choice, but says like, this is what you should do. And um, spoken like a true suburban. And then um, the, the woman who's the gas station manager asks a question um, just, and just shares some information generally, just creates an invitation and says, you know, if, if this is something you want, like, go ahead. If not, I'm doing this out of care for you, not because I think that you're a charity case, but because I actually care about your humanity. 
And so I'm going to just let you know that this church exists and leave it at that. And of course, in both instances, um, Fern says no. Um, but then she goes, uh, and eventually in the movie, she goes and stays um, with David's family, Dave, Dave's family. Did you know that the guy that plays Dave's son is actually David Strathairn's son in real life? Tay Strathairn. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how it's spelled. So whatever. Sometimes I say Strathairn. Sometimes I say Strathairn. I don't know. Um, so she stays. Yeah, I, I assume David, we don't get a backstory, but I assume he's on the road because Jason Bourne uh, is after him. So he's hiding that's out. That's right. I forgot yeah. he was in that. Also, he's excellent in Good Night and Good Luck. Yes, yes. One of those few movies that George Clooney made that's actually good. Yeah, it is weird. And I don't mean that George Clooney acted in necessarily. I mean, George Clooney as a director has made more misses than hits. There's one thing that I do want to make sure we visit before we, we're done today. And that is the, the, the soundtrack um, by yes. Ludovico Analdi um, is, uh, so I'm a, a sucker for a good, moody, gorgeous orchestral soundtrack. And um, the atmosphere that the, the cinematography plus the score creates in this film is perfection. Um, I would put this film up there with some of my favorites, like um, Disgrace uh, and uh, A Single Man. Uh, which utilize music and, and scenery really nicely together. Um, I think it, it, the soundtrack is the best of the year in film, for sure, um, for me. And, I mean, I haven't seen a ton of movies this year um, because uh, my attention span is pretty much shot these days. Um, so I'm trying to regain some attention span. Uh, so I've been watching a lot of like TV shows and like movies that I love. Um, TV shows like Ted Lasso. Yes, all right, everybody. This is the part of the podcast yes. where we remind you to watch Ted Lasso. If you're not watching Ted Lasso. You're not watching the show that America loves right now. <laughs> uh, Red Wine Movies gives it five stars. Two thumbs way up. Yeah, way seven up. thumbs up. Seven. Seven, all seven thumbs. Yeah. Um, so, also, um, so the, I would say that this film, based on the few films that I've seen, uh, I saw Wolf Walkers, which um, another great Tom Moore animated film on Apple TV Plus. Um, that is, I saw Soul, which I love too. Um, I do think that Wolf Walkers needs to beat Soul um, for best animated feature, though, um, because it is just that good. And Pixar always wins, and it's time for Pixar to take a back seat. Um, but uh, out of the movies I have seen, Nomadland is definitely my my favorite film of the year, unless something comes along and blows it out of the water, kind of like. Uh, when Parasite came out and I was like, this is definitely my favorite film of the year. And then Little Women came and then I saw Little Women and I was like, um, I, I still adore Parasite, but Little Women to me was a better film in some ways. Um, the same and, thing happened. You know, everybody's entitled to their incorrect opinions. Of but... course. The same thing happened with um, Roma. Roma was my favorite film of that year. The year that uh, Green Book won Best Picture, the year that shall not be named, um, and by Steven Spielberg, who isn't a good filmmaker anymore, um, oh. and um, he's he's way past his prime. He should just stop now. Seriously, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pass around a petition to get Steven Spielberg out of uh, filmmaking. That's what I'm gonna do. Um, Steven Spielberg, if you're listening, come on the show yeah, and tell Joe how he's wrong. We love Jaws and Close Encounters of the Third Kind and ET. Indiana Jones. Yes. Hook. And I like Hook. Hook. I like Hook. Jurassic Park. Um, Jurassic Park. Um, uh, 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 Minority Report. Yes, The Color Purple. Like, there, Steven Spielberg has made some miraculously good films, but 
when he's making movies like Ready Player One, and now he's making a remake of West Side Story, I'm just like, it's time to be done, Stephen. It's time to be done. And also, when you're signing a petition to get Roma thrown out of the best picture running, like, you suck as a person. Um, so the other, so I, Roma was my favorite, but then what snuck up was um, If Beale Street Could Talk, and that ended up becoming my favorite film of that year. Um, that is a good film. But so I, I'm, I won't be shocked if Nomad Land is, if I see something else, but like as of right now, it's just such a unique and precious film. I can't imagine something beating it. So speaking of the music, so first, yes, I, for me, I don't, I don't see anything topping Nomad Land this year for me. Um, but you said something about the music earlier, and I, th- I thought that was really interesting because I wrote down, I wrote down something. Um, where I, I actually was hoping that there wasn't going to be any. Hmm. Uh, the first 20 minutes are without music and it's all textures and like no country for old men. Yeah. It's all sounds. And, and the, you know, the music generally only plays when there's like a montage or she's looking out on a sunset or, you know, it's not playing to like, it's not playing to manipulate us and that's maybe the wrong word because i don't mean that in a bad way but like you know when drama happens you play the high strings to increase your feeling of the drama yes it doesn't do that it just kind of exists during the um, montages like when she's at the state park and when she's walking in the sunset and all those kind of things yeah so i thought it was uh but i haven't listened to it like on its own as a piece of music but i really more than i appreciated the music i really appreciated the sound i don't know if it'd be sound design or sound mixing or whatever it was i don't i'm not technical enough to understand but the way that when she was like unloading her um her storage unit and she was choosing the things that she was gonna go away with yeah everything I could, you could like feel it. Like she'd pick up these clothes and they had a, like, I could, I could feel it in my hand, what they felt like. And she would shift these papers and like everything had this unique sound. And yes, yes. I, I know exactly what that's like when you're in the zone and it's almost a spiritual moment. Um, I get it a lot after a good movie too, especially if I'm not bored or, or bugged, I should say after a good movie, like when I walk out of the theater and everyone's quiet and I'm just, I'm having a spiritual moment when I walk back to the car and I'm hearing every echo of every footstep. And so I get that, I get that spiritual feeling of, of just connecting. Um, actually, we'll, I'll plug your podcast, your, your, your solo podcast. You had the naked pastor on the other day. Yes. Rhythmakers pod. And he talks about a moment where he suddenly realized we were all connected Yes. And that, that scene where she was pulling out, like that's the, actually, that's the second thing I thought of. The first thing I thought of is super nerdy. Uh, did you ever read the, the follow-up Firefly comic about Book? No. Book decided he wanted to become a shepherd because he was looking at a bowl of soup and he realized that the soup was connected to the bowl, which was connected to the table, which was connected to the ground, which was connected to the earth, which we were all connected to. And that's why he became a shepherd. So that's the first thing I thought oh, of. Oh man, I love that's so good. Oh, I love that. Shepherd Buck and the naked pastor have the same origin story. So that's fun. Uh, <laughs> uh, but then the, the second thing I thought of was her in that, her in that, um, because that's what she has, makes a spiritual decision. I'm going to live my life like this. Yep. Uh, I am taking these items. My husband is dead. And I'm going to choose the items that I want to keep. And I've made a spiritual decision that this is how I live my life now. That's just so, so good. I love that you made that association. Um, yeah. And I think too like cinema like this just reinforces a really important there 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 are no films that are more spiritual than a film like nomadland and in 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 the regard of like spiritual 
thematics. So like yeah. this um, film is a reminder of the interconnectedness of all beings and and our connection to the land. Um, and not in the sense like I got to go out and get me some land, you know, but like I, it's good to have land. It's good to have land. Um, so I'm I'm a big um, Rogers and Hammerstein uh, or Hammerstein, as some people say, fan of you know Rogers and Hammerstein musicals, Sound of Music, um, uh, all of those. Um, uh, R.I.P. Christopher Plummer. Oh gosh, uh, we're we're gonna be doing some Christopher Plummer movies, by the way, um, in honor of him his passing. Um, but um, there, Oklahoma is one of the famous Rodgers and Hammerstein musicals. I was in the stage production many years ago, many little, little Joey. And by little Joey, I mean like early 20s Joey. Um, I played the lead and that was back when I was still good looking. And um, yeah, the times get out of here with that shit. The times the, no, 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 no. Look at me. Look. Look at me. You're you're not as as someone on Twitter who's all like, "Oh my lovelies, be nice to yourself." You gotta fucking do it too. Joshua, why do you gotta come so hard for me right now? Also, I wish I hadn't said it like that. <laughs> I really wish you had found a better way to phrase that. <laughs> Phrasing. Um... Phrasing. Oh, can we talk about how he is the greatest voice actor ever? It's John Benjamin. Oh my God. Yes. Um, but anyways, in Oklahoma. There's a great line, and it's a it's a really cheesy, like over the top American type line that that smacks of of uh, you know nationalism. But we know we belong to the land, and the land we belong to is grand, you know. But like, there's an entire like song in that musical dedicated to recognizing the connection to the land and the beauty of that like relationship. Also maintaining that relationship and then when we when the guy that directed oklahoma when i was in it asked us to read adam's return by richard Rohr, and asked us to uh read a bunch of joseph campbell and focus on focus our energies on this kind of unfolding mythol hero mythology and how it's connected directly to the 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 the, the land so like Nomadland kind of in a certain sense is a is a, a, is, a is an ode to that mythology, um, which is found in American tall tales and things like that, um, which bears the heart of America, which is the land, the land, the land, the land. I will say there's one thing. The in stolen, the stolen land. Yes, exactly. And that's where I was going next. I will say there's one thing in the film that I feel like is seriously, seriously lacking, and it's a little discouraging. Um especially since it's made by a woman of color. But um, there are people of color in the film, but only in a couple scenes. The, the vast majority of the nomads that we meet are white senior citizens. And while I like that they have a place, because this film is, is anti-ageist. It's an anti-ageist yeah. film. I love that. Um, it's really putting older people, um, senior citizens, anyways, um, on uh, in the spotlight and saying that they're they are the stars of the show, which I think is brilliant. The problem is there are so few people of color represented in this film, including native folks, and there there are some serious, in my opinion, missed opportunities in that regard. Other than that, it's a masterpiece. It's a it's a it's a cinematic poem, basically. But yeah, I'm going to shut up now. I talk way too much on this podcast. We, you know, it's funny, um, but it turns out if you don't talk on a podcast, it's just dead air. Joshua, you're so smart. Yeah, because I because I know how podcasts work. How yep. can you be smart and handsome? I can't. That's why I have to choose every morning to wake up and be smart. <laughs> I feel like we just had a a moment. Yeah, but where... <laughs> but I'm right. I'm right, and you're wrong. So. No, well, you just said to me like 
remember what did you just say to me? You're like, Joey, if you're gonna tell people on, on Twitter to be kind to themselves, like you have to too, Joshua. <laughs> now I'm bringing this back to you, bro. Also, um I feel like I've known you long enough to to say to you that it's okay to know you're sexy. It's okay. If you think I'm sexy, come and touch my body. Uh, I feel like yeah, I think we can officially that. say that this podcast is coming to an end. Not like the podcast, but this particular episode has officially run its course. Yes, we have clearly lost our minds. Whenever you start singing a Rod Stewart song, you know the conversation's over. Oh, Rod Stewart can... I don't like Rod Stewart. All right. Uh, so all that said, we'll see y'all, hear y'all, talk to y'all. You'll hear us talking to each other in two weeks. And until then, I bid you adieu. If I want to sound professional, I have to write it down and read it verbatim. Yeah. (laughs) I don't have a, I don't have that thing. Right. Like I could not be on NPR Except for maybe the overnight, you know? Right. It's this this NPR after dark. Hey, this is Smooth Steve from K Jazz. Welcome to Job of the Hut. Tonight we got a young man from uh, uh he's gonna do a song for us. Thanks, Smooth Steve. Steve. Thanks, Smooth Steve. <laughs> this is a song about a book I read once about the inherent evils of rock and roll music. Oh my god. I I love that song so much once i read a book and this, this is, is what it said. said if your music has a beat then you're, you're gonna, gonna wind up dead. dead it doesn't really matter if it's christian or, christian not. or not if it's syncopated, syncopated rhythm, rhythm then your soul is soul gonna rot. is gonna rot and this and book this was, was called, called ah you're gonna burn <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs>